Welcome to the Ellie Hobart podcast, enlightened conversations about all things mindful, meditative, and good. Today on the show, we have Whitney Berg once again, joining us from the Wilmer location of Sojourn Counseling Group. Whitney, good morning. Thank you for joining me again. Hey, thanks for having me again. Yes, I'm so excited. So one of the reasons that Whitney and I wanted to hop on another episode was to celebrate our five-year anniversary of Sojourn Counseling Group. We began Sojourn um, as kind of a joint venture back in 2017 when we were in kind of a unique spot individually, but didn't really know that because we had never met. Right, What? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to hand the mic to you and you can share a little bit from where you were coming from, because actually when, when we started the business um, or partnered, Whitney had reached out to me and I was in a really unique position in my life. And I was really like, I don't know, I guess not expecting that, but felt this like, okay, let's, let's entertain this. So Whitney, um, let's share that a little bit from your perspective. Yeah, I'll give like a tiny little background, even like pre me calling you. So <clears throat> I went to graduate school at a university in South Florida. And I had this really unique experience that all of the active professors teaching, I would say like the majority of them were also in private practice. And so I got this unique experience of like, that's just what you did after college. It was never questioned. I was, I grew up in a family of um, self-employment. So it just never questioned of like what I was going to do um, post-college. And then um, I can't even remember my first private practice, like how I had found that, but I uh, moved back to Minnesota to close to our hometown, my husband and I, and started in private practice in the end of August of 2016 and by December, just really feeling burned out, but not burned out because of my client which is so confusing to me because in college, they talked about burnout, but because of clients or because of the workload that you were taking on. But, it, but when I was identifying back to where my burnout was coming, it was coming from a business model. And so... Um, but in a really scary position because I, in private practice, like building your own client load and finally getting a consistent paycheck. And so it was really scary. And I remember my dad just being like, well, now's the time, like find something different because you can't live the rest of your life like this. And I was like, well, it's easy for you to say, dad, you don't have to pay our bills. <laughs> and he's like, well, <laughs> it'll always work out. Like it, it's going to work out. And he's like, so it was like really helpful having like that perspective coming in. So without really saying anything like um, early 2017, kind of just like dropping like little snippets to different people of like, I don't know, you know, where things are going to go. Anyways, I had found someone who knew you and was like, I think that you and Ellie would get along really well. And I was like, well, I don't know who this person is. And she's like, here's her phone number, just reach out. <clears throat> and I'm not sure, maybe like Marchish, I reached out to you maybe. Yeah, it was in the and, I text you. It was like, yeah, it was like late at night. And I was like, Hey, um, I don't, you don't know me, but I <laughs> want to be in private practice and I don't know how to do this. I'm working in a private practice right now, but like, are you interested? <laughs> right. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe I told you a little bit about myself and mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah. And that was, um, so I think something to add to even just that perspective is for, for like important context is you were I mean, you still are, we both are, we're, we're young, you know, we're, we're young women in business and 
even then, you know, you were you were very young, and to be like yeah. in a private practice setting, um, quickly successful, you know, and you weren't licensed, and yeah. so that like that yep. that compounds the fear, kind of, of that like, you know, when we're in our twenties, that's such a time to establish, you know, we're not really like yep. we're not even building yet, we're like just finding like our feet on the ground a little bit, you know, and learning how to adult and navigate the world and navigate the mental health world and navigate business and navigate, you know, that that's, that is frightening. And when we are getting either poor mentorship, like at some settings, or we're getting no mentorship, it's just kind of like flailing, you know what I mean? And then figuring out like, okay, what, what do I have to lose? You know, and especially being in a smallish, Wilmer isn't exactly rural, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the county seat within the rural, rural Minnesota, you know, and so there's not a lot of opportunity. And so, especially in certain industries, such as our own, like what, what did you have to lose? You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. And so, you know, if we were to like, you know, kind of hop timelines over to my life at that time, you know, leading up to 2017, um, you know, similar in that I um, got my master's degree from the University of St. Thomas in 2010. And I worked in a couple different settings. Um, I was in the Benson Swift County Hospital doing FBS. And that job was okay. You know, it was, um, it, it served. I learned a lot, but it, it was kind of an entry-level position that you're, it's, you're kind of designed to grow out of it. And so I knew that. I knew it wasn't going to be long-term, but I was hoping that it would be longer-term than it actually was. And um, I was going through a separation and a divorce at the time, and I couldn't sustain the position because it included a lot of evenings and included a lot of travel. And as a you know, newly single mother, I, I couldn't sustain it. And so I quit that job. And same thing, you know, I was also, for context, I'm also uh, from the same community that Whitney is. And um, Mm -hmm. so I took a job at the other location um, because it was all that was available. You know, the other private practice that shall not be named (laughs) where we both (laughs) ended up working. And, And that's, I guess, what is interesting about that is that we both worked at the same location for a couple years, but not at the same time. So I quit that location. Um, And your couch was still there when I worked there, remember? Oh, that's so funny. That's right. That's right. And so we look, I mean, Whitney was basically my successor. I left and then Whitney came in. And so we, you know, had the same office space. I think maybe even some of the same clients probably. Yeah, we did. Yep. Yeah. And so just a really interesting thing that we didn't know any of this until. And it never had like knowing your name either right. until years later or your, right. you know, a year later. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. So mm-hmm. that, that's just an interesting like parallel, you know, the universe of that, like, oh, I don't know, that, that stuff is always so interesting to me. So those parallels mm-hmm. that were happening that we had nothing, no idea about. Right. And so that private practice, um, same thing as you, I learned a lot, you know, I built quickly. I had some good experiences in terms of like my mm-hmm. client load, um, really found my, um, passion for outpatient mental health in that setting. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot about business because of the, the business model at the time, but the setting yeah, and like policy, I would say I learned a lot about right. and like the behind, I learned a ton about behind the scenes, mm-hmm. um, business stuff. I would agree with that. Right. Yeah. And conversely, I learned what not to do 
And that yeah. <laughs> eventually what, why I left and eventually why Whitney left. That was part of that, you know, that, that fed into the burnout. So in 2014, I became fully licensed as a licensed professional clinical counselor. And I um, stayed long enough to get um, my business set up. And then I, I ventured out on my own. And so that was still back in like Wilmer Spicer, Minnesota. Um, and I started a private practice of just a solo practitioner, just myself. And I also was teaching yoga at the time. And I did that for about two years, a little less than um, before I made my move to Reno. And it was just a really sweet setup. You know, it was small, it was really manageable. I had a great client load. I had that balance with yoga at the time. Um, and, it, you know, so it, it just felt I was content with that, you know, and then I moved to Reno because uh, I was just in need of that life change. And that was, you know, that was just such a pilgrimage for me at that time. Like I just, mm -hmm. um, so much, so much change, so much growth. Um, and it was time. And I, but th that was, that came with a, a big risk, you know, of like, I, I kept thinking like, I really, I'm, I'm highly marketable, but I don't feel like I'm employable, <laughs> like I'm employable because I, I didn't want to work for someone else, you know, but it was really same. Right. Joke about that. <laughs> right. And so then I was like, well, here I am in Reno, you know, I don't have a network. I don't have a community yet. Like, you know, part-time gigs. So I did some per diem work at another location for a little while, um, while I built my own practice here. And that was a great split, you know, of being as I don't know. It probably started like 70, 30, you know, and then it kind of moved to 50, 50. And then I eventually let it go the, the other location. Um, and it was the same thing. I learned a lot of important things about the state of Nevada, the, the demographic that I was working with state policy. I met some incredible people, but it just wasn't a long-term fit for me. And so right around that time that I was really kind of struggling with that balance, I also had um, a really tricky balance going on in my personal life. And that was, um, kind of in a nutshell, my, I have two kids that I've mentioned on the podcast quite a bit and they, um, at the time were, you know, five, six years younger and, um, their dads are still in Minnesota. So because of our family arrangement, I was splitting my time back and forth between Reno and Minnesota, um, which was, which was important and it served an important purpose for our well-being, but it was unsustainable financially and in terms of time as I was a solo practitioner, because as you know, like if you don't show up for work, you don't get paid. And so mm -hmm. I wasn't able to, I kept thinking like, I can't do this. You know, I, I have to keep doing this, but I can't, the, the time with the kids, you know, back and forth and all that. And, but I can't do it in this way. It's not sustainable for me financially or time and it affects my clients. And so that, that would bring me up to about spring of 2017, early spring of 2017. And I was just, I, I remember feeling kind of suffocated of like, I, I don't know what my options are. And I remember going into prayer all the time of like, I need something else, but I don't like, I, I want it to be not passive income because what, it, what we do is not passive, <laughs> but, I, but also like, you know, I don't want to sell lipstick. I don't want to do an MLM. I don't like I stay within my industry, you know, and I want to, um, yeah. Like, I want to stay within my industry. How can I do that? 
And as a side note, like I loved being a solo practitioner, but the idea of having a growing business was actually really frightening for me. And that came from personal history um, in my marriage is that I, um, a big part of our struggle was financial. And my ex-husband was um, self-employed for the bulk of our relationship. And there was some twists and turns and curveballs that made our situation very difficult financially. And I would look at his experience and I would feel like I want nothing to do with anything like that ever. Like that seems so stressful. I don't want to manage people. I don't want to pay other people's taxes. Like I don't want, I, like, like <laughs> sometimes hard. I like forget how like very different, but like how similar our lives are because like also similarly, like my husband started his own business in 2016. So we didn't have this, we were both trying to like grow these baby businesses and this like fear of like, where's the finance is going to come from? Because I finally had a steady income and he didn't. And then I wasn't going to either because I was jumping ship. So like this whole, you know, so the same thing, right. Of like both of us just kind of like wandering in the desert. <laughs> like I, it's good. Like I, I, I truly believe it's going to work out, but also like, this is so scary, but I have to do it. Right. You and know, it's going to work. And my, my first experiences with that was, you know, when I, when I um, was newly single again and, and supporting the kids and growing my own private practice and feeling like same thing, like I have faith that this is going to work, but I don't know how, and it's clearly not going to be just me, but I don't have a support system and I don't, you know, I was a single income household. And so it was also yeah. like, I don't know, but it would just, it would just work. And, um, and oftentimes I, I fully believe by the grace of God or the universe or creator or source or whatever, you know, however we conceptualize powers greater than us. Like I, I know that I was supported in that way because there are some times that like just the way yeah. that things would happen. And so in 2017, um, I had a lot of apprehension about growth really, because it felt overwhelming and it felt scary. It was brand new to me. Um, and I, and I felt overwhelmed by the idea of being responsible for other people. And so that was like a, you know, really, that was a big barrier for me. And so I remember yeah. a few times, actually I had gone as this is funny. I had gone to visit Minnesota and I was staying at my parents. And I think that was in like May or June. And maybe it was earlier than that. It was in the spring, but anyway, the timing is uncanny that I had gone back to Minnesota. I was there. I was, that's when it had hit me. Like, I can't keep doing this. Like it was, it was mm -hmm. just so heavy work-wise, family-wise, financially. And that was when like, I went into prayer a bunch of just like, let something present itself to me or an idea or something. And it wasn't while I was there, but it was right when I had gotten back, you had texted me. And said, yeah. you don't know me. And but. I kind of like, <laughs> literally like, yeah, like still remember, like we, ha I didn't even know what you looked like. Like, I think I maybe tried to creep you on Facebook or something, but like no <laughs> idea. And, and that's also in that same time, like knowing I needed to leave where I was at because like things just were not going well. Um, and I was honest with you too, like, Hey, I'm interested in this private practice idea, but I'm also interviewing at other places. And I remember just like how supportive you were and you're like, yeah, like I keep talking and like keep me up to date with like that and this goes back to 
know and understand your work because I remember going into that interview and in mind, I forgot, but like I wasn't like and they said to me like you are going to be such a risk bringing onto this company like the thing you're coming in with your worth like you're kind of out of your mind and I was like no you don't know how great of an asset I would be and I remember it's like thank you but no thank you they said something to me similar of like when it doesn't work out you can come back and I was like kind of yeah fingers up, right? Like, excuse you, like the audacity to say that, but like, just like to the podcast listeners of like, know your worth, whatever, whatever you're going to go do, like understand and know your worth and fight for that because no one's going to do it for you. I, I could have, I could have went to that job. I had an offer by the end of that interview, right? but I'd not be where I'm at today if I would have done that. Right. And you, I would have been very miserable. Right. And you could have settled into that. Like, well, it's a job. It's a, you know, it's available. And I did for a little bit, like, yeah, like, oh, it's guaranteed income. It's guaranteed clients. It's guaranteed. And then, you know, my dad, (laughs) like, really, he was just like, no, (laughs) yeah no. And my husband too, he was like, which was surprising because the financial piece was like what we were struggling with. And he's like, absolutely not. Like, this is not where you're meant to be. And then I like entertained it for like three minutes. And I was like, you guys are right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And that's, I like, yeah. Thanks for bringing that back to the podcasters too, because that's such a, that's such an important point. I think that it, it's such human nature to want to, you know, when security is the issue, like financially, I have to get this figured out. And for most of us in many big life changes, whether it's a job change, a like relationship transition, a phase of life transition, you know, we seek security first and foremost, because it's our bottom rung need, you know, when we're looking at the hierarchy of needs, it's most important. And then it does affect everything else in some capacity. And so it's easy to get tricked into, and not saying that people are being manipulative, but you know, it's like our own mind will trick us into like, do that because that's secure. And that, and, and there are times that that's the right way to prioritize, I guess, or I don't want to make it about morality and right or wrong, but you know, that sometimes that's the most appropriate step is to say, yes, that like start there and then, you know, figure things out from there. But that is, um, that was the risk, you know, that, that was part of the risk that we take. And so I think, you know, then when you would reach out to me, so that was, if we're on our storyline at, you know, spring of 2017. And I remember, at first reading your text and being like, Oh no, like, I, like, I don't, I don't like, thank you for thinking of me, but I don't want to be a boss, I, you know? And I was so like, but that was, that was that fear or that, that part of me that had so much aversion to what I thought <laughs> entrepreneurship was going to be like. And so, but then I heard as soon as I had that like reactionary, no, I heard from like intuition or whatever, like, actually, yes, this is what you've prayed for. This is the answer to your prayer. Like, this is the opportunity that you've been looking for. You have to explore it. And so I was like, okay. And then responded to you, you know, and then we were like, okay, let's, let's figure this out. And, and as you said, you know, you're really transparent about interviewing other places. And I was really transparent about, I don't know if you remember that or not, but I remember on a few phone calls being really transparent about my fear, my like apprehension, what I knew, what I didn't know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, what type of leadership I 
wanted to embody, um, you know, I wasn't always clear about expectations right away just because we weren't, we weren't at that point yet. But I remember thinking like, you're going to have to be a self-starter. You're going to need to, you know, take initiative. And, and so we were really in alignment with one another in those ways. And then, um, you know, we started all the preliminary. And I was probably like, good. I don't want a boss. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a five. I don't need a boss. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it ended up being just like such a perfect compliment. And we did a few preliminary stuff. And actually in those first conversations, if you remember, we had a couple other people, you know, joining us on calls, exploring the opportunity yeah. to see, you know, would they be the right fit? And, you know, that ended up not working out for a variety of reasons. And so just you and I, and then um, our admin person at the time started. And so we opened, quote unquote, opened our doors or started seeing clients yeah. in July of 2017. So really it went pretty quickly, you know, and you did a lot yeah. of on the ground stuff in Wilmer, um, to, you know, get the office going and, and then we started and our growth since then has just been phenomenal. Like I look at, I have so much fun going into our software and I look at like July of 2017 and we build out like $4,000 of, <laughs> of and, it's, and I'm like, it's so cute. Like it's such a little cute baby number, you know, and with that. And I was so proud of us. Like <laughs> little box. I know. I remember. Yeah. Like, Oh my gosh. Like, look. Yeah. And then it was like, it's working, you know? And then we had, um, we had that spring Brooke joined us. Right. And then, um, and then in that, or not that spring, that fall. So like November Brooke joined us and then Leanne joined us, you know? And so it was interesting, like once we got the ball rolling and we were really like content, happy, you know, like we were still growing and there was a lot of like kinks to work out and there was growing pains, but all in all, like the growth has just been the easy part. And that of looking at like, you know, starting then and just how we would generate clients and how we would like have, you know, the networking of people wanting, you know, hearing about us and hearing about, you know, client satisfaction, clinician satisfaction. Can I come work for you? You know, and then we'd have people joining and, um, you know, and it's been evolving ever since it, like, it looks nothing like it once did, you know, behind the scenes Mm -hmm. or like the face of the company, but yet it's been like such an organic process that like, we've done almost no marketing we've done, you know, and yet it's this like, we're now at, you know, five years in and we have 25 people on staff, all women. Um, we enjoy a really, um, respectable name and reputation in the mental health community and mm-hmm. our, our industry and our communities. And, um, and I think like what, what is most exciting to me as well is like the nurturance of each clinician, like their approach to mental health, their approach to like essentially they're, they're a little mini business within a business, you know? And so there, there's all that freedom and yep. to, be, to be authentic really. And I think that that's part of what feeds into um, the individual success and then the satisfaction of clients too. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you and I had actually met each other until like that December time yeah. and you probably came home to do it family. And yeah, so, right. Christmas. Like adding people growing And like, we always joked about like a spit on the hand handshake virtually because 
we still hadn't even met each other yet. Like yeah. the support that we felt from one another and like, yeah, I, I was even thinking too, like the previous company had an on like a supervisor and I had to go out and like find my own clinical supervisor. And I knew enough, but like we were still learning and, and we just, I, one thing I think that you and I have done such a good job at is like, we don't always have the answers, but we're willing to find the people to ask the questions to, and we'll figure it out. And that's been amazing. Yeah. That's I think that's such a strength to have, you know, of like that attitude of like, I don't have to have all the answers. I don't, we don't necessarily need all the answers, you know, but, but to have the skill of, like you said, being willing to ask, being willing to find out, being willing to reach out to help, you know, whether that's a consultation team, another business person, an accountant, an attorney, you know, to just know like, okay, we better, we better ask, not ignore and not pretend that we have all the answers, but like ask. And that's definitely been a huge part of our growth and a part of our support system as well to know when things come up in business, because they do all the time to just like look deeper into that, you know, and and then we also have that feeling of, at least I do, the, the relief of knowing, like, you know, we're always in, like, good standing with our practices because we're willing to have those checks and balances and reach out for support and things like that. Um, going back to what you were saying about, um, you know, the the handshake agreement, the spit on the hand handshake agreement, and that's basically how we started everything. You're right. So many people have been like, what? You've never met them. You've never met her. And <laughs> how do you know? You know, yeah. and it was like, well, it, and that was interesting. And I think like even just talking about that, like how I knew, I think the, the, the trust felt inherent in so many ways, I think because of our openness and transparency on on concerns on, you know, things that were really important to us. Um, and, and from the get go, we had really strong communication about that. And I think that always that, that, that to me was a demonstration of integrity, you know, that like, if you are going to be upfront with me about your expectations, your boundaries, your concerns, your needs, your hopes, your dreams, you know, not just the positive stuff. And, and I can receive that then and and do the same um then we've always had that like trust transparency a demonstration of our value system our integrity we've been able to work through difficult times we've been able to bring up you know like hard stuff and the conversations from my experience the conversations have always gone really well Yeah. And I think I've always had that like safety within you of like, Oh, I hate talking about this or I don't even want to tell you. And I'll say that, but we need to have a conversation and like present it. And it's always so well received and Mm -hmm. right. Hard conversations, but has led to really beautiful things. Totally. And that's part of with, um, you know, going back to like that, how did you know, you know, part of how we know is like things like that, because had, had we been two different people with different value sets or personalities or approaches, um, maybe our gut would have said, mm, actually, no, like this isn't the right fit, you know, whether it's just cause we wouldn't have like worked yeah. together or maybe there would have been some trust issues or something like that. But, you know, our, I think I know I did a continual gut check all the time and like I never experienced red flags. And so it was really easy 
to move forward with the agreement because there was never anything that made me question it other than just some of my own apprehension or inexperience or things like that. But that never had anything to do with like you or our relationship or, you know, it's just yeah. my growth. And that one of the things too. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to compliment you. You probably want to hear it. <laughs> um, but I remember like this, this safety net of like you saying like, I'm not putting a non-compete in our contract because like, I want you to feel where you best fit. And so like, if that no longer aligns with your values, and I still believe this to be true for you when new clinicians join, but like if, if this someday doesn't align with you, then I'm going to support you to go and find that. And that was just like, well then what's the risk? Like she's already like rooting for me. She's already on my side. Like let's join this sisterhood and grow. And still to this day, like what I know what to do all by my lonesome self. Yeah, I certainly could, but I've never still to this day, like, why would I want, I always just like when people ask me, why would I want to leave? Yeah. I, would, I don't want to like, why, would, why would I want to? Right. Thank you. And that's something that I also feel committed to is like, I don't, I want, well, two things to that point, you know, in my contract, I don't have a non-compete. I, I, I myself have signed one contract that had a non-compete and and it was horrible. You know, it felt really like, um, I felt trapped, you know? And then I remember thinking like, well, shit, like I'm, I'm leaving, you know, this non-compete isn't going to keep me here. And so, but then what it made me do was Mm -hmm. a step out of integrity in the way that I left in that, you know, I gave my notice, I gave ample notice. I followed through with my commitments in that time, but I couldn't be forthright about what I was doing. I couldn't just say like, Hey, this isn't the right fit. I'm, I'd like, you know, I'm, I'm putting in my notice. I'll be here for another 30 days. I'm, this is where I'm going next. You know, I couldn't do that. heat, And that felt so out of integrity because that's typically not my style. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to have people working with me, like I want, I want them to trust me as much as I want to trust them. And so if they're non-compete, like people are going to do what they're going to do. So if you're going to leave, like, that's not going to keep you there. It's just going to make you lie to me about it. (laughs) And and I like that, you know, and and then that, you know, that damages the relationship. And then we don't have that co-op, you know, that collaboration later because for so many reasons, people might not stay and whether it's just not the right fit, they're exploring another branch in their career. They're wanting, you know, who knows? And then I don't need to take that personal and I don't need to take ownership of yeah. their life in that way. And so to all this, right. Yep. And I, you know, over the years, because it is a group practice and it does take time to build, you know, per clinician, depending on what they're looking for. Many of our clinicians over the years have had multiple, you know, more than one job, just like I did when, when I started Sojourn. And so, yeah. I look at that too, of like, why, why would I, you know, prevent people from doing what I needed to do in the same way? And so, yeah, Yeah. thank you for saying that because that was, um, that's been a big part of like something that I felt very committed to is that transparency to feel like you're safe here, you know, that there's never like secrets, there's never withheld information. There's never anything that like, because, you know, in a group practice, like you guys are, everyone's their own entrepreneur within the business. And so like, I, I personally believe the only way to operate that is with full transparency. And I think that's something that, you know, like for listeners to 
also sit with, you know, like with, as, as you and I were talking about, you know, that gut check of like, how do you know? And part of how we know is like, do you feel safe with this person? Are you free to come? Are you free to go? Like, do you have your freedom within this? Do you have yeah. your safety within this? Um, what, what transparency is there? If there isn't any, like, is there a reason for that? Or, you know, does yeah. it feel like there's an uneven power differential? And if there is like, of course, there's going to be some of that within leadership, but it shouldn't feel unsafe. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I Yeah. I even think about that within like our EHR system that we use of like getting not within um, our private practice, but previously getting locked out of certain things because like air quote, we weren't allowed to see that information, even though we were operating as individual entrepreneurs, it was directly impacting our personal business. And like, with you, it's like, oh, I didn't know that was an option. Okay, yeah, let's go ahead and like release yeah. that and like let you guys dive in and see, yeah. you know, and like you have full access. And right. that that's so empowering. Yeah. And that and that helps too. You know, it helps me, it helps the business to have that transparency because people are involved and they have, don't have, you know, if they have a question, they can go get the answer on their own. And if the answer doesn't make sense, you know, then you reach out and say, like, hey, something about this isn't quite right. And that can really help because it brings things to our attention that otherwise might be like, oh, I didn't realize that there's a mistake there or you know, whatever. And so then there's with that transparency, there's not only is there that emotional safety, um, but there's also that like collaboration and checks and balances because we can have, you know, clinicians can take as much and have as much involvement as they'd like. Um, -hmm. So it is, it is a little bit of a unique approach, but I think that that like that feeds into happier experiences, I think. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then I just like think of like over the years, I don't remember when I got obsessed with the Enneagram, but like when we learned like our Enneagram number and like, like how it just like shines such a bright light on how we've done business, like Ellie, you're a seven and like, but I'm a five. So I like numbers and I liked the business piece. And so like, I've really been allowed to like grow and help others grow who have joined on with the nerdy stuff that like, I don't necessarily get to do that with clients, but I can still like have that business piece where I get really excited about like teaching people how to use the EHR system and teaching people about insurance and teaching about co-pays where like, you're like, (laughs) I don't want to do that part. I know it's essential, Yes, but it's essential part of the business and it's an essential part of learning. I mean, I made so many mistakes that first year in private practice because I just didn't know. And so like I learned very quickly and it was so exciting. And like now I've had like this beautiful opportunity to offer that to like, yeah, we're a group private practice, but whoever wants to learn, like join a group call and, you know, take on that information and you have other things to offer that like a seven, you know, can offer and get excited. And that's probably part of your seven of like, I don't want to be tied down. I'm not going to tie you down. <laughs> yes. I was <laughs> just thinking that. Yeah. I was just thinking that. And so for people that aren't familiar with the Enneagram, it's a, like, um, like a personality test of sorts that, well, I mean, not of sorts, it is a personality test and, you know, it kind of takes into account, um, well, actually, I mean, you sent an article, I think it was you several years ago that like kind of the, the formation of the personality um, attributes that are measured or, you know, looked at in the Enneagram really is linked back to some of our more formative traumas or fears and woundings. Mm-hmm. 
And um, that was so fascinating to me when I when I read that, because as a seven, a part of like the the, the wounding and the response to that is um, that feeling of like being like potentially like trapped in circumstance and left alone to cope with it. And so that piece of freedom is so important. And that also kind of like the the other component of that is part of like, so if I'm left alone to cope and not that, I mean, as a caveat, I was not like neglected in my childhood or anything, but just (laughs) wasn't locked in a cellar. It's like our own experience, right? Like, (laughs) and so, but this, our family dynamic in the way that my parents handled emotions and things like that, like, and my personality is like, I was introverted at times. And so like, there was a lot of, a lot of alone time for me, especially if I was upset, I'd go into my room and, And that was how I navigated my emotions. And so, um, but there are times that then that would mean like, if I was in an emotionally intense situation, I would want to like leave, exit, run, you know, so I can have a very strong flight response. But then when I would be in my, on my own is also where I would play, you know, I played pretend as a kid until, man, I don't know. I was like 12 or 13 still playing Barbies. Like I, I played, you know, for real, like I'm not even exaggerating. Like I I, I just played and I wanted to play pretend. And, you know, so I had a really strong imagination and I had that, um, that fantasy mind that would think of like, whatever scenario or part of play or why not big ideas, you know, and how then that creates that seven. You know, it's so funny that you're reminding me right now. Uh-huh. My play was setting up a grocery store and <laughs> charging the cost of what all my groceries are going to cost. And like, I had this whole menu and you could like order food and then like never actually did anything with it. But like mine was like all number based or like yeah. teacher based, you know, like setting up That's assignments. So funny. It's so <laughs> I true. Love that. And That's then so I funny. was, like pretending my bike was a horse and I'm going to go into the meadow and I'm going to find my bike and I'm going to wash it and give my horse a bath. And like, but oh I, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> but you know that, how then that creates that, like, why not? Like, let's try it, you know? And that's totally like a big part of the seven expression is not only like freedom seeking and the need to move and discomfort in quote unquote stagnancy and can have that, you know, can have a hard time with stillness the the side that can also really be positive or like lend itself to certain scenarios is like that idea mind the possibility mindset why not let's try it kind of like fire ready aim is kind of how it can be sometimes you know and and that yeah. that can really help in terms of execution of like let's do it but i've also learned you know that i need that balance of like i need systems i need teachers i need people to ground me i need or i can get overwhelmed sometimes by like ah that what do we do you know and like you and sabrina especially cuz i think sabrina's a 5 as well that that's such a like well I was just gonna say what's also really beautiful about the Enneagram is fives and sevens are connected and so uh, you know I go to a seven in stress but you come to a five in strength and so we can also really support each other through that and and as you're talking I was thinking too like so fives are really set like really strong boundaries they're clear um try to be clear with their communication which sometimes gets me into trouble but also we have to, we feel, we don't have to, but we feel like we have to protect our energy and 
and I was just thinking about like the safety that you've been able to provide within the company. I've never felt that with you. And that's probably why we've been able to expand because I didn't have to protect my energy around you. You were a safe person. You were, you always received my boundaries. You always came from an understanding of like, why, why is this boundary coming up for her right now? And rather than judging and shaming, okay, let's sit with that. And like, that makes sense why you have that. And like, that's amazing to me. So thank you. Oh yeah. Thank you. And and (laughs) like ultimately respect that, you know, and that's something in leadership that I really try to see, you know, within, with everybody on board is that, you know, like see personalities, see, you know, what, what undercurrents might be feeding into certain circumstances, you know, that like probably don't have anything to do with business, you know? And, and I think that helps me as a leader mm-hmm. to really see people and hopefully they feel seen. Cause I think that's, that's important. And, you know, kind of a little takeaway that I'm thinking for readers is like, you know, if we were to, you know, give some, I guess, nuggets of wisdom that we've, we've benefited from over the years is that like, you know, in, in entrepreneurship is, um, first of all, we, we never do anything solo, you know, as much as we might be a solo practitioner, like it's so important to have our team and mm-hmm. it's so, and even if they're not yeah. with the business, you know, to have our, you know, like you said, yep. other, other experts, other people to consult with, um, and other people that provide that balance, you know, for things that might not be our strengths or our, and sometimes it's just different ways of thinking, you know, to have like yep. that, that polarity, that complementary polarity, if that I'm like the big idea thematic person and, you know, then, then you or, and or Sabrina or whoever can provide like, okay, systems, you know, how do we, how do we yeah. ground this in? And that, um, that then creates like strength to that structure instead of like, yeah, Leah has all these great ideas, but it's so chaotic and there's no like, <laughs> you know, the expectations are unclear and blah, 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 you know? And so that's something too, as we've grown and scaled the business that we've, I've yeah. had to get more comfortable with of like, okay, what is the procedure for this when these things happen? And what, you know, I don't like using the word policy because that to me, it kind of, activates something that want makes me want to rebel <laughs> but essentially like some policies around certain things and which is so funny because I'm like hey guess what I do in my free time I'm making this a procedure and policy book <laughs> I know and I'm then you saying. needed it that was yeah. so funny <laughs> <laughs> I know and that's the thing too like the longer we're in business and the bigger you know we grow like we do need some of those things and so that's part of the balance of like keeping sojourn true to its essence of like personal freedom, creativity, um, you know, really clinician centered and, um, kind of laissez-faire leadership a little bit of like, you know, I'm not going to meddle in your stuff, but I'm available and like keeping all of that and providing the structure to sustain growth and organization and clarity and predictability. And that's been interesting for me to experience when I'm like, Ooh, I don't like these like policy things, but yet when I present them, um, how most of the time everybody's been really like, totally makes sense. Or some of them are like, I really appreciate that because that makes it clear for me. I know what to expect or, Oh, I like that. I know what I'm working towards now. And that clarity I forget sometimes can be so relieving to people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This kind of brings up and I don't know, like, but I had a client last week and, um, working in a, not a private practice, but in a system, which there are already rules in place. And 
she said to me, like, they don't even have a mission statement. They don't have values. Like, how do they know what they're working towards? And, it, and I was like, yeah. And, I, and then questioning um, how well she fit within that system. And I said, well, what are your personal values? What are your pers- what's your mission statement? And she's like, oh, what? And so it's been this like super cool activity. She went home, she wrote herself a mission statement within the business that like she was personally operating um, as an employee. And I was like, this would be a really cool check of like, if something doesn't feel right, you have something now written down that you can go back and like, is your gut telling you something? Is it not aligning anymore with your values and belief systems within the work that you're doing? And so we've kind of in the Wilmer office been like chattering about that. And so maybe that's a fun activity for listeners of like, even if you're not in private practice, the business in which you're operating under or employed under, what's your own personal mission statement? Why did you work there in the first place? Or what brought you to that place? And what's your mission statement? Right. I love that. That's a great suggestion. And I think that's something too, you know, even kind of bringing that into like the therapeutic realm, how we do so much work looking at values, belief systems, you know, our, our personal manifesto or mission statement. And, and that's interesting to me because it's such a ingrained part of our being and yet a part of ourselves that we often don't look at or that we, you know, it it can Mm -hmm. operate silently sometimes. And so when there's incongruence in values um, or, you know, a clash of values, um, and sometimes that's internal, you know, feeling like I value security and I value freedom. And how do I, you know, where's the, you know, where's the intersection of those things Um, and different things like that. And those dilemmas that can present themselves, but especially with other, um, you know, whether it's an organization or a relationship or a friend group or something to like get clear on our value system. Um, and then that to me, integrity is, you know, when our actions and our values are in alignment, you know, that we're operating from integrity and, um, and when something asks us to step out of integrity, how that is, um, really unsettling, you know, even to our, to our conscious, to our nervous system. And not that we're always doing something quote unquote wrong, but just something feeling like this just right. is out of integrity for me. So I love that suggestion, yep. you know, to like sit with that and think about that because that, that does, when, when that feels like the right fit, you know, and we feel like, okay, this is how I want to feel at work you know, and not just about like, well, and sometimes kind of like what you were talking about, like right away, like you immediately wanted to say no. So like, it just allows you to kind of like step back and say like, where is that coming from? And like, is this like, what actually is aligning with my values and what, and then like you, cause I didn't even know, I didn't know that was your part of the story until like years later you had shared it with someone and I overheard you because that's not the message I received from you when you responded back to me. So like you didn't like quick jump the gun to respond to me. You just like let it, I don't know. You responded to me fairly quickly. Like I remember, I think the same evening maybe, but, um, not quick enough to say no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And cause that was part of my, it was just so automatic, you know, it wasn't like I hemmed and hawed over like, "Mm, no, I don't think so. It was like just my instinct because I had had those personal experiences and it was just a self-protective no. And, you know, sometimes our instinct is nope and, and that it'll stay no, and that'll be the right answer for us at the time. But sometimes our instinctual instinctive answer is really more fear-based and, 
maybe we do want to reconsider because we can look at like, I'm not in that situation. And, and something that I've always done as well, just like you were saying, like it, it, you know, our transparency um, and the freedom within the structure of the business to, to come or to go made it quite low risk for you. But I also remember processing like, okay, well, sure, I'm investing in certain ways, but ultimately it's like, quote unquote, low risk for me too, in that like, if this doesn't work out for whatever reason, you know, we just kind of course correct, you know, and instead of feeling like stuck or left holding the bag or, you know, something that would have been detrimental to either one of us somehow, you know, so we had set it up that way to feel like, yes, there's risk. Cause there, I think with most new ventures, there is risk, but it yeah. was perhaps calculated and also intuitive. So it didn't feel risky. You know, I was in a yeah. yep. was interviewed by a business magazine recently and they had asked me, I was so tickled by this question and cause they had asked, you know, kind of the standard stuff of like, you know, what's your history in business, blah, blah, blah. And then one of the questions was, um, tell us your thoughts and feelings on risk. And I was like, what a great question, you know, to, to sit with yeah. that because I can be risk averse at times. And there's times that I'm also like, let's try, let's go. And, but something about that risk feels safe and not meaning safe, meaning I can recover from that. Yeah. And I I think that's part of confidence in the world, no matter what, what risk we're, we're considering is not so much, is it going to happen or not? will it be painful or not? Will it hurt me or not? But can I, can I recover? And to me, I've recovered from everything that I've been through so far, (laughs) you know? And so I can feel like, okay, yeah, I, yeah, I can recover from that. And what, and perhaps, you know, if we need to break it down more, what would recovery look like? You know, not just yes or no, but it also felt like, yep, I can, I can recover from that. And that's part of, I think that balance, you know, of risk, but then setting ourselves up for safety too, you know? That's so good. I love that. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, we're in the mental health industry. And I think as a group practice as you know, the size that we have grown into and our, um, you know, we're hundred percent women. We have about 25 people on staff and that ranges from fully licensed clinicians, practicum students that are interning for their master's programs. Um, we've had APRNs on staff in the past, you know, to kind of whether they're interning or, or staff members. Um, we have post-doctorate clinicians working towards licensure. Um, you know, so very diverse staff in that way with like very diverse backgrounds and approaches to mental health. And I think that's something that I'm so proud of to be able to offer like, yes, we're all women, um, but, you know, we're, we're at so many different points on our timeline, different ages, um, different mm-hmm. race, different identities. And that to me is like so rich having the different licensure. I mean, I feel like we covered every licensure too, or like degree mm-hmm. within that. We have. Yeah. And therefore we can offer unique services and consultation within the business, um, you know, and then mm-hmm. our support staff as well. It's amazing. And so let's talk a little bit about our approach to this, not just business, but like the, the mental health business, because we we are unorthodox. And I would even love to hear from you from like a clinical standpoint, whether it's like a therapist speaking about clients or as a clinician that goes to work every day, um, 
how is that a benefit? You know, not just to us, but like to the industry. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So because there's been so much freedom, like when I first started, I took kind of, of course, within my scope of practice, but kind of everybody, every age range within what I could see. I worked kind of odd hours, like, you know, like later evenings. And as I've grown, (laughs) I was talking to my husband of like, I was in a training and they said, like, when you look at your schedule, who are you most excited to see? That's your people. Mm-hmm. And that was so like renewing and refreshing to hear because like I'm scanning my schedule. I was like, everybody, I love them. <laughs> like, I want to see everybody. It's so fun. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, how do you have that reaction when you're doing like deep trauma work? But that's where the passion lies. Right. And I've had this like beautiful support. I'm not forced to see X amount of clients a week. I'm not forced to only get one day of vacation or what, you know, being dramatic, but like, I'm not forced to work weekends. Really the, the beautiful side of business. I can work when I want. If I want to work five or six days a week, I can. If I want to work two hours a day, I can. If I want to take a three-hour lunch, I can. And within that, it's really allowed me to get a full experience. I felt fully supported, you know, because I feel like you had a large background of different diverse clients. And so even if I was like, okay, sure, I'll try this client I've never had experience with, I at least had someone I could go to to guide me or my supervisor was amazing. And she could guide me, which has then allowed me to like start narrowing in my practice. And so and then like, as newbies come on, they're kind of in that same like fresh, like, I don't know what I want yet. So I'm going to kind of dip in and see. And then through that, like our clinicians just have this amazing wide range of certifications and continuing ed. I mean, I don't even know everything everyone has, but like equine therapy, EMDR, um, art, perinatal mental health, um, trauma certifications, adoption and foster early childhood. You could probably go on and on and on, but if, if I don't feel like a good fit, I know within our company, we have someone who is. And that's so renewing and refreshing because sometimes a referral is coming to you because they trust you because they know that you're working with someone or they've heard good things, but you are not actually the best fit for their scenario. And so that's really opened up and been fun that we have that opportunity. But I think like the the beauty of private practice is that it's just allowed me to have the flexibility that I need for the first time ever. Now I have a baby of my own. I'm done at 4.30. I've never been done at 4.30 ever in a job. <laughs> like, But now I have the beauty to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's been amazing for me. Right. I love that. And that's, like you said too, that I think that's a part of competence when we know what we don't know. Um, and I don't just mean that as like, you know, when we're when we're a little baby therapist and we, we know that there's so much to learn and we don't have a lot of experience yet. And that's the time to try things, you know, to know, like, you know, of course, within, within our, you know, ethical scope, of course, to say like, you know, sometimes some, some situations are just not the right fit. They're over our head until we've had more experience or a different level of licensure or something like that. But, you know, that's the time to try things to see, like, maybe I do like this demographic when at first I was a fearful of them, or I didn't really understand that. But now that I've been working with it, I do, because that's the time when we have so much support, you know, we have to have the support, right? It's like yeah. we're legally and ethically required to have supervision and consultation at that time. But then, and then that grows our experience. And even if we no longer with work with that demographic it still helps meaning like for example if someone is working well actually i'll use my own example 
back when I was doing family-based services and I was doing in-home at the client's home and I was working with the whole family, um, I don't do any of that anymore. But virtually everyone has comes from a family, right? Somehow. And so everybody, every mm -hmm. single client has some sort of a family systems relevance. And so that work that I was really hands-on with can still help me now as we're talking about family dynamics. Or if I was working, yeah. you know, within the CPS system or the child protection system, I now can understand that better as a clinician if a child protection concern comes up, even though that's not necessarily my specialty right now. And so it, it I think it helps support our clients as well for them to know that like perhaps I have you know I've I've I'm more of a niche now but I've had so much experience over the years that like the, that will help me yeah. or like you said if we're not the right fit for any reason a client can feel well cared for by being referred somewhere else to know like we're going to be a better fit and to me that's part of com competence of knowing this is what I do know this is what I don't know and so I'm going to send you somewhere else. Or if we keep them on staff to know, like, I have to really learn more about this to better support my clients. So I'm going to take a class. Or I'm going to consult with someone else on staff to make sure that we're providing, you know, the most ethical, competent, effective care that we can. And that's to me, I mean, this goes like really big and soapboxy, but I'm going to go there because I feel so strongly about it all the time. Is that like, that's part of to me, that evolution and quote unquote, like revolution of the mental health industry is taking that unorthodox approach and, and not, not completely breaking away from the medical model because that does serve as well. But I think we need, you know, the, the biopsychosocial model of like all things of, of people need to be considered and treatment will never be one size fits all. You know, whether yeah. it's our, the, the diagnosis, the, the issue, the person, the therapist, you know, like there, we need to have variety and we need to have a holistic approach. And I think the industry itself in terms of like the business and the monopolies and the corruption, like to break away from that a little bit to say we can do this differently and still be fully ethical, fully legal, fully effective, mm -hmm. fully competent and have fun and be creative and enjoy what we're doing instead of getting like sucked dry by the bureaucracy that really doesn't serve anybody. Anyway, mm -hmm. I don't know who it serves. I think, yeah, like <laughs> nobody <laughs> because working in that environment too also has such a high burnout risk, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the beauty of like a group private practice is like, yes, we're all individually business owners. But if I'm seeing a client and I don't know, I probably know someone pretty accessible within Sojourn who I can go to and ask because they've either had a client like that. They've had supervision on that. They've had training on that. And, you know, we get this like quick access to so much experience. And I think that too of like, back to what you said earlier, um, of like, even though I don't take whatever, I must be dramatic, like 70 vacations a year, I could. <laughs> and just having the freedom of knowing like, yeah, you could do that if you wanted to. You're like, okay. But when I was interviewing at um, a practice that um, does a more like standard employment model, they were... <laughs> they were like, you get two weeks vacation and you need approval. And I was like, oh, 
the audacity <laughs> that I would have to seek approval if I need a vacation. And I just remember like, <laughs> that's not going to work. I'm going to go on vacation if I want to go on vacation because then I'm that's my highest form of self-care. If I can feel it in myself, I need to have control of like, how can I... How can I best serve my people and how I can best serve them is by serving myself. And private practice has allowed that for me. Mm-hmm. Right. And could you imagine me as the leader being like, no, I'm sorry, your vacation isn't. <laughs> <laughs> like, that would never happen. I'd be like, I'm really uncomfortable. Like, I don't. <laughs> and, that's, and that's part of vacation for everybody. Right. Okay. We're all going to take the time off then. You know, like, I just feel like, <laughs> I don't know. I think about that. I was actually, um, Another clinician here in Reno was was reaching out for, she's thinking of expanding. And of course I'm like, do it, you know, do it. And here's what works for me. And not to say that that works for everybody for lots of reasons, but I was reflecting on that. Like, I don't know, to do it a different way just would never work for me. And so that's part of the, like, again, to like bring that like out to the to the audience when you're thinking of like, if you're thinking of a different business venture, if you're thinking of self-employment, like really get clear on like your personality, your leadership style values. Like what do you want? What are you going to be good at? And do it that way. It doesn't have to be the old way. There's so much deconstruction right now and so many systems. And so like, same thing, like do it that way. So if you don't want to be the boss of employees, don't. If you don't, you know, you can still have independent contractors that work for you and you have certain things in place, but you don't manage their time. You don't, you know, you don't have to have that like, um, and same thing with like working how we want to work. I think that's such an important part of being a small business owner is like, how do you want to work and work that way? I think I get asked a lot of like, how how did you figure it out? Like, what did you read a book? Like, how did you, like, and I always just say like, well, you start and then, um, you don't have the answers for everything and you don't even know you need the answers until someone t- sends you a letter and is like, um, you forgot to file this form. And you're like, oopsies, I'll get that to you tomorrow. Right. <laughs> and then like, now, you know, next year, like, this is how to file a tax form. Or now, you know, like, this is how you do this because like, someone's going to tell you, like, if you don't know, like someone will tell you, someone at the bank will tell you, someone in the IRS will tell you. Yep. A friend will tell you someone, someone's telling you because like, they're not going to miss out, you know? And so if you're okay to kind of, of course, like don't go blindly because I think it's important to have like a plan ahead, but like, you don't know what you don't know. And so find other people who have started a business, find other people who, and not even a business within like your same structure, right? Because some business model goes through. And so but we always laugh about that because like, I don't know, you, I, you Google a question, like something comes up and you Google it and they, there's maybe an answer and then you try it and yeah. <laughs> that was probably the wrong form and then they get you to the right form. Yeah, that was at least our first year and a even, half. Oh yeah. And even like I was trying to sign up for a certification test. And I was like, could not figure out this ID number. And so I emailed the company who I took the, um, took the training through and she's like, well, did you did you fill out the form to get qualified to take the test? I was like, oopsie, I missed that step. I missed three A. I went to three B. They sent me the link and like, okay, now I know. I didn't know yesterday. Now I know today. Right. And that's like, like you said earlier, being willing to ask. And that was so much of business growth. Like at least I'm not, I mean, Mm -hmm. like at least the first year and a half, two years of a lot of like, 
like you said, just, you know, start and ask questions and know, yeah, things will come up and it might be someone saying, Hey, we need this from you. Um, it might be someone else asking another question that you're like, Ooh, I, I think I better look into that. Or my, even sometimes my intuition, like I haven't done that or, you know, and, um, and so seeking that information and, and then course correcting. And I think also, yeah, that's part of, I think when, when people say, how did you start? Um, there, there has to be that like acceptance, like you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fix a lot of mistakes. Yeah. You're going to learn from them. You're going to find new ways to do things. You're going to get some things right, right away. You're going to have to pay some late fees. You're going to like, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's things that are just like, yeah. And I can't tell you how many times in the first year of business that I would call, I don't know, let's say an insurance company and and not even know what I was asking, you know, and just get some live person, explain the scenario, explain my dilemma and say, I don't, I don't even know what I'm asking. And then, but they would know like with that information, like, oh, you need to fill out this or, oh, that's a contracting issue. I'll send you to contracting something, you know, and that like, So it, it, again, it goes back so much of our like growth and evolution and confidence building is like being okay, not knowing, being okay, asking and like being willing to like have that experience, you know, of like, I'll just ask, I'll like, you know, I'll not know, I'll, I'll kind of wing it and, um, and learn as we go. There's so much of that learning as we go always. Yeah, I feel like it was either you or Missy, which like, I feel like you and my supervisor, Missy, were like, so in alignment with each other too. And she wasn't even part of our private practice, but she was also so she was in a private practice, but so supportive. Um, Okay, now what was I going to say? But about like, what the heck was I going to say? Oh my goodness, now I lost my train of thought. It was something about like how, um, well, client growth of like, I remember her like always asking her like, how are you not anxious that you don't have more clients on your caseload? Or how are you getting more clients? And she always just said, like, when the like the space and energy is right, they're gonna come to you. And time and time again through business, that was happening. Like I was like, I was within Sojourn, but I was leaving. I kind of did some contract work with a within Sojourn, but like through another company to help get clients and it just wasn't sitting right anymore. And I remember like Ooh, but it's guaranteed X amount of clients every week. And I like let that go. And then another location and like our, another location that we had that I was working at just like blew up in that like next week. Yeah. But like, but feeling that honoring that and then like, yeah, moving into that. I think I was going to say um, that also that communication of like, there have been times in the company where you and I like hadn't communicated about something, but then we had both been feeling something. And then we finally had time to talk and be like, Oh my gosh, I was going to say that too. Or like, Mm -hmm. I'm like thinking of like one specific year when like, okay, I was struggling with that too. And you were struggling with it, but we were kind of like struggling in silence until we just like sat down, like, okay, I need to air this out. It's like, Oh, I've been feeling that too. But I was scared to bring it up. And then it was a, it was a major turning point in the business of like when that got to get, when it was talked about and we, you know, came up with some solutions and ultimately, yes, it was your decision, but just talking about like how it was affecting other people. Right. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, on that note, you know, we, as we talk about like the ease and growth that husband sojourn, um, there was a, a good, well, probably, probably at least a year and a half, two years, well, 
combined two years at least of, you know, I'm thinking of two different periods of time where there started to be, um, yeah, some concerns about some things that, you know, were going on kind of behind the scenes within the business that was like, this isn't, this isn't working anymore. It's not serving, you know, and then making a hard decision to make, make a shift. And then we recover from that. And then what we thought was the solution to that ended up being arguably worse, maybe. I don't know. I don't know which one I'd rather take. <laughs> but like what that led to was neither. <laughs> yeah. And what that led to yeah. was some things that were really outside of our control within, you know, just kind of some industry standards and um, COVID affecting, you know, like availability yeah. of um, like, so part of our business, you know, we have to work a lot with, you know, the IRS, we work with insurance companies and during COVID when like, you know, nobody was available and everything moves so slowly, yeah. it really affected us behind the scenes. And so we had this kind of simultaneous like expansion because you know, people needed mental health services. And I had many people reaching out to come to work with us, um, as well as this like shadowy um, contrast of like, things behind the scenes are really messy. And it was so frustrating for me because I felt like it, it was, a lot of it was outside of my control. And it was my going back to like personal accountability and responsibility. It was my responsibility as the business owner to like have a hand in the solution and stay abreast of what's happening and mm -hmm. to the effects on that it had on clinicians, on clients, on the health of the business. And that, but that was so, it was such a test for me to feel like I'm so frustrated. I can't control this. And I feel like I just felt awful that it was happening. And, mm -hmm. you know, we were able to, you know, Sabrina came on staff and, um, Tammy yeah. and you know, we were that they were able to like fix it essentially, but it was just such a stressful yeah. time, you know? So we've had both, we've had like and some ease. And then we the beauty of like, she maybe never would have come on if not, you know what I mean? Like, okay. So yeah, like, 2020, we can look back and be like, oh, wow, like all that hardship it, while we were in it, it was just like felt devastating. And I know how overwhelming it was because we were getting so many emails and so many concerns and, and not about clients or anything about that, but more yeah. like financial pieces of things. <clears throat> and, and Sabrina was kind of like behind the scenes with us during that time period. But like, I, and again, right. Like, this is so funny. Like I used to do all the mail and I'd take a picture and I would email it to Ellie and then Ellie would deal with it. And then one day I was like, Ellie, this is too many emails. Like this is too much mail. I can't handle this workload anymore on top of my clients. And just like being honest about that of like, this isn't aligning with what I'm needing anymore and I need help. And then you're like, okay, we'll figure it out. And then yeah. like, and now like, I could not imagine Sojourn without Tammy or Sabrina. They're amazing. Right. That's part of, you know, scaling a business essentially is that, um, you know, when, when, our, when we can't, when the current scaffolding won't support, you know, where we're mm -hmm. at. Right. And so that the, like the current foundation won't support the growth and like the, 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 yeah, you know what I'm saying? And Going back to when I was married, my ex-husband's business, um, I remember watching that as like part of his struggle and ultimately to the detriment of his business was that he he grew and he grew very quickly, um, but there wasn't the, the support to 
you know, to sustain the growth. And so then things, you know, I mean, just like, a, like any building or structure, if we don't have like a solid yeah. foundation and we continue to like expand, it's, there's going to be problems, whether it crumbles yeah. things go through the cracks, you know, and, and that's where I have had to surrender into some fear at times is that like, okay, so this is another growth moment. Like if I want to keep Whitney happy and on, you know, on staff and in her <laughs> Um, you know, in her role, which is to be a therapist, not my administration, then, you know, yeah. where at, for a while you could manage both because you were the boots on the ground, yeah. and, you know, you were my, my Minnesota person that, um, but then I had to accept like, okay, like growth moment then and we have to find someone else. Yeah. And I, my dad always said, um, cause my dad was in business for himself for a long time. And he did really well. And I remember him telling me when I was first going out into business for myself, um, he was really supportive as well. And he said, Elliot, it takes money to make money. And I was, and that's always wrong. True. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. So I have to hire someone new then like it, it takes money to make money. This is a growth moment, you know? And so then, like you said, yeah. now looking at where we're at and having Sabrina and Tammy being so integral and now Rachel too, you know, to the, to do yeah. behind the scenes stuff that like supports our growth. I love labeling that too, because you weren't taking it personal. Like it was something against you that I couldn't do the mail anymore or the bringing money to the bank anymore of like, Oh, what an inconvenience she's being to, okay, I'm just going to label it as a growth moment. And then that allowed me to take on more clients, which was growth in that aspect. Sabrina was able to focus on more of like the insurance things, which was a growth moment in there. You weren't having to receive all the mail that I was sending. That was a growth moment for you. And so like one small request or question allowed three people to really expand and grow within the business themselves. Right. But not taking it personally. Cause I think that's an easy thing to do in business of like someone brings something to you and you're like, oh, what did I do? What's wrong? How did I like, how did this happen? And like really stepping back and saying like, it, it, it doesn't always have to be someone's fault. Right. But right. what's the question that's being brought up and what, and is there a solution and how can we come together and find that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's been such a practice for me. Um, and I, and fortunately I think before business, you know, when that I've had, practice in, in previous years, whether it's, I, I'm thinking of, you know, like the four agreements of don't take anything personally, which is like such a on mm -hmm. practice in our life. And, um, we had to read that book in my yoga teacher training and it was, and I remember reading it before then and being like, Whoa, what a novel idea. <laughs> and so, yeah. to, <laughs> what? right. And, you know, and like same thing with clients, like what if we get feedback or whatever, it's not personal, it's important though. But, and so that has yeah. been interesting for me as as the business owner and a supervisor and in a leadership position, when there's feedback that might be difficult or it might be, um, maybe, I don't know whether it's a concern or a complaint or a life update for someone that isn't something that I ever feel like disappointed or angry or, you know, I don't, I, I really try not to get personally invested in that way while staying personally connected, if you know what I mean. And so yeah. mm -hmm. that has been such a practice and also to be aware of like, what stress does that bring up for me? So if it is a like, yeah oh, okay, well now I have to like hire someone else and that's a payroll thing. And like, okay, but I have to trust that we can support that or to, um, when there's been issues, like I can be, 
um, well, we were just talking about this. I could be kind of conflict avoidant person sometimes. And so like being in leadership means I've had to really strengthen the muscle of being assertive and being forthright with difficult information and not taking that process personal. You know, if I have to share something that I know is going to frustrate a clinician about an insurance company, like, yeah, like that's super frustrating and stay in connection to that but not take their disappointment personal that now I need to feel guilty or, do you know? And like that, that's such a human process for me throughout this like journey that it's been, um, that's a lot of my growth, you know, that I can acknowledge. Yeah. I remembered what I was going to say about you and Missy earlier, reminding me all the time of like in life, this isn't even about business, but also in business, like we'll keep learning the lesson until the lesson's been learned. And then we'll start learning a new lesson. (laughs) And like, that's so true in business, right? Of like, okay, well, the universe is going to keep handing this to me until I like figure out what it is. And like, I think sometimes people get this false idea of like, okay, I've like, I've handled that hurdle. And like, now like the lights are like, oh, you know, the angels are coming and like, it's going to be so great. But then it's just like the next, like our next life lesson that we're learning and it just transitions and changes and, um, but yeah, like I think about that in business all the time of like, okay, got that handled or, you know, okay, we're doing good. And then a, a new hurdle comes up. You're like, oh, dang it. <laughs> yeah, right. And and how to with that, I think um, how sometimes the same lesson, you know, what am I trying to say? There's certain lessons that I don't think ever fully go away because it's like, same material, new lesson, or, you know, going deeper into something like I'm thinking of even with clients, I just had a client yesterday that we were talking about this, that, um, there was an issue in her life that she's done a tremendous amount of work on and lo and behold, it's relevant again. And we all can relate to that, you know, and, and I, and I her like, you have done the work. And you get to continue to do the work because <laughs> it's not, it's yeah. not mean that you quote enough, enough work. It just means that this is, you know, this one is probably going to be a lifelong, like learning process for you, yeah. or, you know, and we all have that. And so that doesn't mean like, Oh, learn the lesson. It went away. Like sometimes some lessons like learn the lesson, mastered it now when it presents itself again, because it will, it's, you know, it's just like when we go through yeah. school, what we learn in kindergarten will still have relevance for the rest of our life. Yeah. And not feel tested by it, but actually we might because a lot of kindergarten is learning how to get along with people. And it turns out that's like a lifelong <laughs> thing too. And do you know what I mean? And so there's certain yeah. like, yes, we will keep learning that or we will keep mastering it and we will keep revisiting that or it'll be, you know, a new angle or deeper integration. Like we have this like silly human tendency to think that like we learn something and it goes away. And most of the time, actually not you know? And so it, it's interesting right. to think about that. And even with um, like the metaphor of learning, like when you were saying, you know, about business, like when people ask, how did you, how did you learn? How did you learn to do this? You know? And so much of our learning is like, I always say, you know, it's like when we learn to drive, you know, we go to behind the wheel or I'm sorry, we go to driver's ed and we like learn from the book and the teacher teaches us things. And so it's more lecture and we, we, we input information and then we behind the wheel and we integrate that information like in real life. Like we get 
in the car and we learn the things and then the things start to happen and we remember, oh yeah, that this is now when I do the thing that I was taught to do. And, you know, it, it, and it's like, yep. you know, just like riding a bike, like we are learning to swim, like we can be told what to do, but it's really not until we're in the water or on the bicycle or driving the car mm-hmm. that, 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 that we're really learning from that level, from that embodied level. They're so different. Yeah. I love that analogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you have any like final lessons or final um, to uh, nuggets of wisdom to impart upon our, our listeners as we come to a close? I think to really validate the value that you personally have in this world and that, that you have to offer and to first and foremost, honor that for yourself and then to get a support system to come behind you and encourage that because there's going to be rocky moments, right? Like, am I always waking up being like, Oh yeah. So fabulous today. No, but I have people in my life that are like, you're doing great. And like, this is, this is the path that you're supposed to be on. And I think a lot, I check in often of like, if I wasn't doing this, what would I be doing? And the answer is always this, because I, I, I love, I love the location that I'm at. I love the space that I've created. I love the clients that I've built. I love the business that I'm in. And I think if that ever were in question, because it was in the past, like listening to that, and really sitting down and questioning and finding mentors or people, therapists, whomever to sit with that and understand like, where is this a scary moment or is this you needing to listen to your body and really aligning with your values? And so I guess that would be like my biggest words of advice. Mm, That's beautiful. Thank you. Well, Whitney, you Mm -hmm. are such a gem in my life, you know, not only as Mm. a um, sister in business and a work wife (laughs) and a colleague, but (laughs) such a friend and you are doing great. Like you're such an amazing therapist. You're such an amazing businesswoman, Mm. friend, your loyalty, your support, your encouragement, the way that you've seen me and held space for me and given grace for my Mm -hmm. girl has been such a gem. So thank you as well. And thank you for joining on the call again. And listeners, for those of you that would like to dive deeper in with Whitney, she is a therapist licensed in the state of Minnesota. And so she takes clients and, um, also is available for consultation for business ideas, other modalities of support. So Whitney, how can people find you? Um, Instagram. That's like, you know, when I feel like posting at handle it with wit, um, otherwise, um, our website probably is the best, which is www.sojournecounselinggroup.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yes, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah.